0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles, and welcome to the Apocalypse Podcast. The iPhone announcements might have been last week, but this is the week all the new updates, iPhones, and new Apple Watch actually arrive in stores for you to buy. Having been playing with the new iPhone 11 all week, Features Editor Britta O'Boyle joins me to talk about what they're really like and whether they're actually any good. Our attention now turns to Huawei, who has just announced the new Huawei Mate 30 and Mate 30 Pro. The company's latest smartphone has plenty to offer on the camera side of things, but there's a catch. It doesn't come with any Google apps pre-installed. Chris Hall joins me to discuss what we've got in store for customers brave enough to embark on the new journey with Huawei. And I interview Casper Tickier, the co-founder of augmented reality business Zappar, to find out how the world of AR is changing the way we shop and what we can expect in the coming years from the technology. But first, Chris, to you, what does all this mean for Huawei and customers of the new phones? Well,
1: where do we start with this one? Um, Okay, so Huawei announced their phones that we were expecting, the Mate 30 and the Mate 30 Pro, and as you would expect if you've been following Huawei for the past few years, they have thrown huge amounts of new technologies into these, these new devices. Um, the camera is especially is an area where they are really trying to lead the pack, and they've been doing very well here as well. So the Mate 30 Pro has a quad camera system on the back, and that's your normal collection of wide angle, a regular angle, zoom, and a depth sensor but they're really squeezing the quality out. They're creating new technologies. They're trying to find new ways to use more sensitivity. Um, They're promising things like 45 times zoom and all of this kind of stuff. And I have no doubt at all that this will result in an absolutely fantastic camera experience. But the thing that people will probably be talking about is not this amazing camera on the back, not the seamless design where they've done away with the volume controllers and and. You know, made it super slick and slim and everything else, they're going to be talking about the operating system. And this is what we've been talking about for the past few months, well, all the way since May, in fact, when Donald Trump and the U.S. government put Huawei on the uh, Department of Con- Commerce list that said U.S. companies should not work with Huawei. And this is the first real device that we've seen launch since these restrictions have been in place so now you're going to ask me what it really means
0: yes what does it mean chris
1: (laughs) it means that huawei's done exactly what we expected them to do there's been a lot of talk over the past months about harmony os about huawei developing its own platform and operating system and stuff like that but the simplest thing that huawei could do was use the part of android that is open source now, for those of you familiar with Android or those of you not familiar with Android, you'll probably know that Android started as a as an open source project and it still exists as an open source project, which means anyone can pick up Android and use it as an operating system. They can put it on basically anything that they want and run it and use it. That's what open source software is.
0: A bit like Amazon with their Fire OS, which is based on Android, but it's not the Google version of Android.
1: Yeah, they took it and they did what they wanted with it. And Android is... Um, Android is associated with phones, and that's what we we, we really know it as, and that's where we encounter it the most. But Android is a very, very versatile operating system, and people are putting it in all sorts of places. And a lot of the time, that doesn't need Google. And Google has very little to do with it. They own it now, but a lot of the software runs without Google being involved with it at all. But here's the big point of differentiation for consumers in that when you extract Google from the Amazon smartphone experience, you get something that's quite different. And the the magnitude that you're talking about is having no Google services. You're having no Google Play Store. And that really means that your familiar services that you know and like, like Google Assistant, like Gmail, like Google Maps, and access to all of those apps and all of the security scanning and malware busting that Google is doing, all of that is now missing from this phone. The big question it still remains what the experience is going to be like, because Huawei has always has always put a skin on top of its phones that it's called Emotion UI or EMUI. Now that's in its latest version, version 10. And this is still going into the new Huawei Mate 30. So when you look at it, visually, a lot of the phone will look exactly as it did on older devices. It will be familiar to a Huawei user. But when you go in and say, um, and, and you want to ask Google to do something for you, you may not be able to do that. At the moment, because these have just been announced, we are trying to figure out exactly what that means and exactly how that is going to impact on the experience, because While these services may be missing, they are, after all, just apps, and they will run on the Android platform, and it's very likely that you will be able to install this stuff yourself. The question is, who in the real world is going to want to do that? If you're technically minded, you may want to do it, because that may then give you access or make this a viable phone, and you want the amazing camera and all the rest of it. But for a lot of people, they'll look at it, they'll see a change, and they'll say, I'm not sure I want to walk down this path.
0: So in reality, it's kind of this is one of those devices where the potential is huge in terms of the capabilities of the phone. But from a software point of view, if you are reliant or use Google apps and services, you're going to have to get a bit creative in how you access those or ditch them completely and say, go with Outlook for your email client or go with Waze for your mapping software or or things like that.
1: Well, that's a potential way of doing it. Ways is now yeah, also owned sorry, by Google. I saw that as I said it. Um, although it's not, it's it's not one of the um, it's not one of the bundled Google services. So, Ways may be available on the Huawei store, and this is what Huawei are doing. They have they have their own app gallery that they've had for a long time. Um, but if you've been looking in app gallery, you'll probably say that that experience isn't great. Um, there are there will be shortcomings, and there will be obstacles to get over. But one of the important things here is that um, they can launch this phone in China, and China doesn't offer those Google services anyway. So they'll be able to launch into China to billions of customers, and it will probably be a commercial success anyway. For those people outside China, there will be a sort of leap of faith because if uh, if this if the US. trade ban is lifted, then there is every possibility that with a flick of a switch or a press of a button, Huawei would be able to send out an over-the-air update. The Google services would then be enabled and you would be able to go back to normal. Whether that's going to happen or not, there is no telling. Now, what seems
0: interesting is that this isn't a full switch to the Plan B, Harmony OS, as they've been calling it, and we saw at the Huawei Developer Conference uh, earlier in the summer, so this kind of feels like it's a case of, well, we're kind of we're not, like Huawei isn't sure themselves about how this is all going to pan out.
1: I suspect that's completely true. I've sat down with a number of Huawei executives over the past few months, and they've all been very, very committed to Android and have always said, we are going to keep working with Android as far as we can. But They've also been very candid in saying that they can and will switch to their own platform if they have to. There is this sense that... A lot of this hangs on US and China trade talks. And it may be that that the ban may be lifted on US companies working with Huawei, and then everything could go back to normal. The mood seems to change every couple of weeks, and it's very, very difficult to know exactly where this is going to go in the future.
0: Still to come, Britta and I talk about the new iPhone 11 and 11 Pro.
2: I've got the green too, which is quite minty, um, but it's lovely. I think the lilac's really nice, or the purple, sorry, is really nice as well.
0: Co-founded in 2010 by Casper Tichier, Zappa specialises in augmented reality experiences for brands, allowing them to turn almost anything like print, products, their packaging, or even a place into an interactive experience that can serve a video or offer more information. With Apple, Google and others now pushing the augmented reality story as part of their marketing messages, what's the future of AR and is it here to stay? I started by asking Casper what Zappa actually does.
3: I I guess we we would describe ourselves as a a technology company and creative consultancy rolled into one. Uh, And that means that we are advising um, uh, businesses on the one hand about how they could capture value um, in augmented reality, Uh, and make that something relevant to their business and to their end customers. And then we can do everything from uh, the the strategy and the planning and the creative execution for that um, from start to finish. Or indeed, we then have the platform and tools which allow them to create their own AR experiences, uh, should they wish, either in-house or through their agencies. So we basically have a a proprietary tech stack um, that looks after sort of scanning and tracking and detection algorithms, a content authoring and publishing platform, a way to serve and host and deliver the data analytics from that, and then different ways to distribute that content, be that through an existing app, or free to download Zapper app, uh, through mobile web AR um, uh, or indeed you know um, in other social media, for instance, um, with WeChat mini programs, say in China.
0: So someone comes along to you, and they say, right, I've got this amazing idea for an AR experience, and then you go off and and help them create that. Can you give us some examples of of, uh, just so anybody that's listening can sort of visualize, uh, you know, how this all works in reality?
3: Yeah, sure. And I think what's an interesting point there as well is one of the watch outs is if someone does come and go, oh, I just want to do something with AR, because AR is definitely not a, a silver bullet or a strategy in its own right. It, it tends to be more about here's a problem we're trying to solve. Um, and we'd like to think about whether AR is a potential a part of that solution. Uh, so, so I think it's, you know, quite important to kind of make sure that, it's not seen uh, sort of in its own lane. Um, it's part of a, a broader approach to, to solve different business challenges. Um, so I guess an interesting one would be, say, uh, 7-Eleven. You know, they obviously have a big user base, and they're trying to encourage more people to come into their 8,500 stores and buy more things. Um, and what we're doing is, within their 7 Wards app, uh, delivering a new camera function that allows them to uh, deliver different types of activity across the full year, be that around their uh, film promotion or their full football program or the programs they do with their brands, be that sort of Pepsi or Red Bull, whoever it might be, to create uh, little mini AR activities that allow people to earn reward points uh, and give them other reasons to go in store um, and buy specific products. So that's all about us defining an, you know, an entire kind of yearly program uh, that uses the camera effectively as a new way to engage people, but create mini content experiences um, in order to surprise and delight them. But most importantly, give them valuable reward points and, and real world um, benefits.
0: And so, are there examples you've seen that maybe you haven't created that you think, wow, this is like one of those moments where anybody that sees this will instantly. Be excited by augmented reality.
3: Well, I think the good news is that there are, you know, there there are certainly um, lots of really accomplished um, agencies out there who are, you know, who are steeped in creating good um, uh, branded content and creating, you know, these sort of stories for 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 the different brands and businesses. And so, really, all AR is just a different way of, of thinking about the narrative structure with spatial computing. Uh, in order to bring those types of experiences to life Um, so i mean i guess you you know you see a lot of that through um uh you know kind of i guess in snap with some of the the filters and uh, different lenses that they produce um and so i I don't know i wouldn't want to single anyone out i I think one of the things that is exciting and and, you know certainly to us is we're trying to democratize ar we want more people um, and more companies thinking about how you do tell these stories with spatial computing um, uh, because we've seen how powerful they can be in increasing active engagement uh, being used not only for marketing, but in learning, training and development um, or in, uh, uh, in from a new product development perspective in order to
0: um, uh, yeah, sort of tell these stories in a different way. And do you think that's one of the problems that AR has at the moment, which is that there does seem to be this barrier to entry through a technology point of view? I mean, I was talking to Lego earlier in mm. the year with their AR uh, Lego hidden sets where you can use a phone to, to see different things that are happening once you've built the sets. And, and they yeah. were like, oh, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's designed for seven-year-olds, but unfortunately, you need an iPhone 6S or higher to, to be able to run it
3: yeah well again a really really good point and i think you know certainly one of the things that we've learned over a long time i guess we, we first started in 2011 is you know we tend to think of you know uh worse devices up rather than best devices down you know if you are truly going to democratize the technology you need to make sure you're working within the confines of the phones and devices that most people have everywhere in the world um and, and you know but the, the truth is you know we were making. You know, good stuff back in 2011, you know, I guess it's just got easier since then, um, uh, if you like. I think another thing that's interesting, though, about, you know, when you do create experiences for different audiences of different ages. um, So we do a lot of work, actually, in that sort of game and toy space. And when you are creating experiences that, say, are world tracked, you've got to understand that the, you know, the child holding that device is actually a, a lot closer to the ground than as an adult. <laughs> so if you're an, an engineer or yeah. a developer making that thing and you're testing it, you're likely to be standing a few feet higher than them. And you've also got to remember that actually their, their hands and their thumbs, you know, if they are using it on a tablet are also kind of less dexterous and can get to less parts of the screen. So there's lots of interesting things actually that aren't driven by the technology. Um, it's really about thinking about the end user, you know, that, that context that they're in. And, you know, how you make that UX, UI um, uh, work for them uh, to to make a a really worthwhile product. So it's amazing how, you know, I guess a lot of people talk about it. It's great that the technology can do it, but that's not a reason in itself to make it so it really is, you know, um, how's it it making anyone's lives better or more enjoyable?
0: And do you think, I mean, we've seen a a large, we've seen, first of all, it sort of seemed to be very much about virtual reality, VR. And then it moved towards... uh, Augmented reality, AR. Do you mm. think uh, is is VR is AR now replacing VR in that, in that sense? Yeah, well,
3: it's always funny on that one. I, mean, I, I always remember that um, you know most of the conferences over the last three, four, five years, you know, there's always been VR and AR sort of pitted on stage in this sort of almost celebrity death match against each other of which one's going to win and i really really don't think it's the case i think you know vr and ar um are, are profoundly different experiences and and they do different jobs incredibly well so i don't necessarily think it's an it's an either or um it depends what you describe as success you know is that about kind of um i guess the the, the mass appeal um uh, of those different technologies and clearly you know, VR requires a different form factor, a different headset, a different type of experience. Um, and I guess AR can be more ubiquitous just because of the nature of it on on, on mobile devices. So I don't think that it's replacing it. Um, I, I, I do think that they are beginning to find their own rhythms um, uh, in terms of what they can do well within their own life cycles.
0: And do you think, I mean... Where do you think then we'll be in the next three years? I mean, if I look, at, if I look back three years ago, it was kind of all mm-hmm. about HTC Vive and that was just mm-hmm. sort of coming on the scene. And now we're sort of on the cusp of, you know, it feels that there's a lot more talk about AR and, you know, uh, there's sort of even, you know, galleries are putting on AR exhibitions and shops are starting to embrace AR and obviously the work you're doing. Where, where do you think will be in three to five years time?
3: Yeah, sure. Well, it, it's nice to see that it is a sort of, you know, a, an ongoing continuum. I mean, I think you know, clearly this year, one of the big um, uh, breakthroughs is maybe the wrong word, but the thing that's helping, again, further democratize it is is the advent of, of web um, AR, mobile web AR versus a reliance on native apps. And I think that opens up the opportunity for certain different types of, of brands and businesses to be more accepting of the potential for AR, you know, specifically in, say, connected packaging uh, and that that ability to be able to scan different types of packaging and products in order to surface all sorts of different types of information, some of it which might still fit in that almost kind of surprise and delight category of storytelling, but some that also might be more about just being sort of informational and instructional. And so I think, you know, at a time when, you know, a lot of brands, you know, are, are Keen to talk about their brand promise and show their different credentials in terms of provenance and authenticity and all that sort of stuff, um, then actually the ability to um, uh, use that passive print uh, and scan it and use AR in order to 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 get those messages across in an engaging way, you know, do open things up pretty pretty dramatically. Um, You mentioned sort of the the sort of tours and events, etc. You know, that's another area that I think is you know will 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 grow as well and. You'd hope that um, with the advent of five G, you know that's going to help um, uh, those types of experiences better. Um, uh, you know and support them better because they're you know clearly there are still issues in terms of just network connectivity you know the richer these experiences come the bigger those packages and payloads so there's loads of things there that you know will make it feel again more effortless and uh, and seamless to the end user.
0: And do you feel like companies such as Apple for example you know there's a lot of talk they're going to be launching a, an AR headset there's there's mm. you know they're doing tours themselves the art tours they're doing AR experiences mm. in store there's always demos things like that. Is that is that helping raise awareness for you guys as well uh, you know it's so hard to talk on apple's behalf isn't it you know yeah.
3: uh, i don't think anyone really has the inside trap I, I, I think it is genuinely great that um you know over this last 24 months the way that both i think google and apple have really um, gone out in, and embraced AR and speaking more about the um, ability for sort of both visual discovery and, and creating sort of spatial storytelling has to be a good thing um, absolutely you know and, and I think you know this this continued shift in terms of the importance of camera um, to these devices um, uh, definitely opens up um, more opportunities. But I think it's, you know, you still have to keep on asking that question of, you know, why are we doing this? What is, you know, the real benefit? You know, and I, I still think at the moment we're connecting lots of dots of individual experiences and it's still trying to sort of, un, you know, unlock what is that sort of everyday value for these things, um, you know, and how do brands genuinely move to this position of going, what is our camera strategy? You know what does our brand look like through the camera of devices and how should it behave and what story should it tell um and and where does that sit in you know all the other communications we do so i think there are some you know there are some thought leading businesses that are already sort of getting there and I think that's the thing that will make it more ubiquitous over this next period. But it is wonderful to see people like, you know, clearly, you know, Apple and Google su- supporting this. You know? And
0: how does, if at the moment, if you look at the market, you've got, there's two, it feels like there's two main approaches to augmented reality. There's the sort of, let's do it through a phone or a, a, a tablet, mm-hmm. and that's the sort of Androids with ARKit and, and ARCore and, and and those kind of things. And then there's the, the sort of high-end range of the the HoloLens lens. Experience or uh, magic leap or things like that. Does that do you worry that that gives you some sense of you know sort of the haves and the have-nots, or or do you think it it, that that won't that won't be an effect of of the sort of high end tech and, and the low end tech?
3: I think we're pretty excited for it from a zapper perspective um i mean we obviously have uh this uh you know the only hardware play that we've made um has been this this idea of a thing called a zap box which was at the time you know two or three years ago now when, when we did see magic leap and as you say all the great stuff that mike's doing with hololens but saw that as sort of unobtainable for people you know if, if our mission is all about uh, democratization So Zapbox was, you know, how can you create mixed reality for $30 rather than $3,000? And I guess it started as a Kickstarter and it was more than a a more of a hobbyist pursuit and make a community piece, you know, in its second iteration. But it is still, you know, I think what's happening, you know, is that clearly the form factor of those devices and the power of them and indeed the cost of them are just going to go down. Um, over time, uh, and similarly, the power of the mobile devices and and the the cameras, you know, um, uh, on them, and 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 the support with with five G, etc., are also going up. So I think over that next five year period, we're just going to see a, a different, more affordable form factor for some form of headwear that will become, you know. Um, uh, more ubiquitous, so I think it's great again to see Microsoft and and and, and Magic Leap's being um, investing, you know, for for everyone really in in this technology. Um, but it will, you know, take a little while, and in, in the meantime, you know, that's why we have you know things like Zapbox, you know, just to give people a, a taster of what's to
1: come. And
0: and if you were to try and explain uh, an AI experience that Zap is working on, or something, as I say, something you've seen that. To really open up people's imagination of what is possible, what what do you think? Would you say?
3: Oh, again, it's, it's another good question. We, we work in so many different verticals, so it depends 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 what flavour um, uh, that you like. Do, do you want to? Uh, would you want one that's more sort of consumer facing, or more more?
0: Whoever's listening to this will be able to turn around and say to their friend down the pub or at the gym or somewhere along those lines and say, "Look, did you realise that you know?" augmented reality allows you to do this, and the other person would go, oh, my goodness, that sounds amazing. You know, have you had one of those sort of magic moments?
3: (laughs) One of those moments. Uh, Well, well, but this is the beauty of AR, you see. Um, I mean, it's still the case, because it has that sense of almost Harry Potter-esque magic to it, that even the most sort of simple AR experiences where you're, you know, bringing just a poster to life, has that ability to um, genuinely put a smile on someone's face and make them want to show it to somebody else um, you know i mean some of the uh an example of that would be just some stuff we've done with local schools you know primary schools for their end of year posters where you have the kids you know um uh, for uh, let's say the show they're putting on in character bringing themselves to life in posters and just having a very simple feature for the parents to Pop that in their calendar to know that they should go to that performance. But you know, you show that to uh, both uh, you know both groups, both the parents and the children, you get them to scan those things. And there's nothing miraculous there. You know, that's technology that's been available and you know clear has worked for some time. But it's that there's something about that um, that moment of transition and that connection with some of the beautiful simple things they are that I, I think are as powerful as when you go. Isn't it amazing? I can put my, you know, IKEA sofa in my room and see how big it is, or look. I can bring LeBron James to life in, you know, you know, in my living room. All those different things are, you know, I, I don't. I think it's about, you know, the the beautiful simplicity of how you you make that connection with people through AR. That's more exciting than, you know, the latest and greatest um, animation or, or or new piece of tech
0: that's fine it's just it's, it's always that sort of sense of you know whether it's something like you know i was i was doing um i did the art tour on, on the apple uh event recently um you know you go out of covent yeah. garden and there was this this really yeah. funny moment where we were following these these speech bubbles down the road i don't know whether you've done it um yeah and it was the one where it was in the tree and there's, there's this funny little weird thing in the tree and uh there's a bunch of us all like looking, peering, using our phones to peer into this tree to see this guy going, "Ha, fooled you, whatever," right? You followed yeah. me to the tree. This crazy, this this Japanese tourist just came along and started taking a picture of the tree, <laughs> and we were like, and she was like, "What? Are you, what's so cool about the tree? Like, why have I taken a picture of this?" And we're like, "Oh, we've got AR, and we could see inside the tree." And she was like, "Oh, I thought you're just taking a picture of the tree." Oh, I love it, and it was just that's that so, cool. so that sweet and innocent yeah. moment of like just she wanted to get involved, yeah. um, you yeah. know, but didn't know why she wanted to get involved, you know. And, that's, yeah. so, and then we showed her that what we could see, and she's like, "This is amazing!" Like, it just yeah. completely blew her mind.
3: But I think that's what so that is, you know, I have to say, you know, it, it's so we're obviously way too close to it now, having kind of been um, showing AR people for for the best part of nine mm. years. But the thing that I still love is that you still go into all these meetings and presentations and research and show it to people. And that same sense of kind of enthusiasm for having seen it is, is, is still um, prevalent. Uh, and, 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 I think you know, because there's, there's always that sort of worry about, oh, you know, will that in, that initial moment of surprise and delight, will that be something that eventually people tire of? And I just don't know. I just think there's something really special about that moment of connectivity when the world around you does sort of open up this portal to other information. It just can't help but kind of go. I wonder what comes comes next. It is the sort of it's the sort of fortune cookie moment of you know what's in here. Yeah, I
0: I, uh, I do think it's still that element though of of of, of, of having to hold a device is still the yeah, frustrating it, barrier.
3: It, you're right, but. But um, I think that will that will become more uh, uh, more so as I guess we do have this movement from headwear, you know, from phones to to, to whatever the headwear is. But I think we're still think we're a, few, a good few years out from that. Um, uh, and I think that's certainly more true of again the people who are who are close to the sector. I think for most people, they just don't think about that. To, to be honest. Um, you know, because they're so so reliant on their phone for other things, um, it certainly will be nice when it is hands free. No, no question. You know, it just opens up some really fun um, uh, other types of experience.
0: Yep, it's that time of year again when Apple releases the next version of its iPhone. This year, seems the range settle into two distinct camps: the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 11 Pro. The Pro offers a third camera, better screen technology, and a few other tricks. But which one, if you're thinking of buying one, should you go for? Well, guess what? You're in luck. I'm joined by Apocalypse Features Editor, Britta O'Boyle, who's been playing with the iPhone 11, while I've been enjoying the iPhone 11 Pro Max. We've both been playing, so we can find out what's what and which one, if you're undecided, should you go for. So, Britta, how have you been getting on?
2: Uh, Great, actually. I think the iPhone 11 is brilliant value for money. Um, you get a lot of stuff and a lot of technology that you didn't necessarily get last year for the same price. It's actually cheaper this year um, compared to the XS and the XS Max. So I think based on value for money and the technology you get, the iPhone 11 is a brilliant option for most people.
0: Now, I've got the Pro and the Pro Max, which is the, the big daddy, so to speak, of the, uh, the old experience with this, this huge screen. I've got an OLED display and I get a third camera, and I get slightly better build quality. But to me, that feels like whilst a lot of people will enjoy that, that they're all, I think, you could easily enjoy the 11 and not pay that huge price.
2: Yeah, I think, I think you can definitely do without them, especially if you haven't got the two models side by side. I'm not sure that you'd notice the build quality unless you literally held the Pro in your hand and the 11 in your hand um, at the same time. Then you would notice because the pro is beautiful and the finish the frosted finish is lovely um but the, yeah i've got the
0: i've i've got them i've been enjoying the midnight green version what What colour did you get for the uh for the eleven
2: I've got the green too, which is quite minty, um but it's lovely. I think the lilac's really nice or the purple sorry is really nice as well, <laughs> although that's more lilacy too. <laughs> they should have called them lilac and mint green, I believe, but hey. <laughs>
0: And so as far as, you know, if you're thinking, if you've got a 10R or you've got a, you know, uh, perhaps even an iPhone 7, should, is, it, is it worth the upgrade?
2: Definitely think it's worth the upgrade from any of the Touch ID models to the 11s. Um, I think the, you'll notice a huge difference, mainly for the extra screen and everything, but actually the camera is fantastic on the iPhone 11 as well. Uh, night mode it makes a big difference when it comes to low-light photography, which you still get on the 11 even though it's not a pro model. Um, you don't get the telephoto lens like you do on your 11 Max, which means you can't zoom in. Um, but yeah, to- and I
0: have I've kind of find that it's one of those interesting cameras in that sense of it makes it a little bit better when you're uh, doing portrait photography of different people, but you can, you know, the... The regular size camera that you get, and the um, and the ultra wide, which is available on on both the 11 and the 11 Pro, is certainly you know certainly good enough. And I think the fact that both of them have night mode, which is the real big play for me this year on on the iPhones, certainly from a photography point of view. But it's that you know taking. I don't know whether you found this when I when I was taking photos in, in poor light conditions and there's a really good uh good feature on pocket lint about how we, i went out with richmond and, and tested it against a couple of other android phones is that sense of it really is I don't know, cl- excuse the cliche night and day difference to the 10r the 10s and, and and all that's come before it
2: oh definitely there's a huge difference with night mode um so if you are if you are if you do have an xr or a 10r sorry then <laughs> you might you might not notice huge upgrades in terms of sort of speed and everything i did notice a big battery difference um and the night mode is definitely worth it but that would depend on your budget and whether you can afford to sort of jump up only a year later but if you're on any of the touch id models i would definitely say the 11 is a would be a fantastic upgrade for most people
0: so having used the 11 do you would you be would you wholeheartedly recommend that over the going for the 11 pro or do you think actually if you've got the cash go on just spend a bit more a bit more money
2: if you've got the cash then the pro model the finish on it is absolutely lovely in the flesh but i would say that the 11 is far better value for money and probably makes more sense for most people
0: yeah i think i tend to agree with that statement i think There is something beautiful though about the iPhone 11 Pro range and the quality of build and let's not forget that overall these devices are really easy to use and and great additions to the update. Certainly the photography is a lot better and I think for me given any choice I would probably be a tart and settle for the 11 Pro just because that build quality really is that nice. That's it for this week. If you've enjoyed the show, can you please give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform you're listening on? It really will help raise our profile and let others know you liked it too. Until next Friday, pip pip.